actually really fascinated by your idea, Brad, of the sense of belonging. I'm thinking about that sense of belonging idea and I'm coupling it with Derek, your idea of shame and, and how like the use of social media has, has um, normalized shame. Hey everybody, welcome to the second episode of the Middlemen Podcast. This is a weekly podcast where four male middle school teachers talk about teaching-related topics. I am your slightly above-average host, Brian Brown, and uh, we've got all three here today. You guys want to introduce yourself again so people can start getting to know your voice? Yeah, I'm uh, Derek Bullington, also known as uh, Mr. Bully by my students. (laughs) (laughs) Amaro Tomorrow, this is uh, Mikey Amaro. This is Brad Curry. All right, awesome. With our uh, nearly 78 years of combined teaching experience, our opinion is no more important than yours. We just happen to have a microphone. Last week, I shared with you that uh, Brad had been teaching for eight, 28 years and Derek for 25. Mikey, how many years have you been teaching? This would be my 12th year in the same full-time capacity, and I uh, toiled uh, aimlessly as a substitute in the district for five years before that. Okay, so you got like 17 under mm-hmm. your belt. So I think actually you and I, I thought I was the younger Younger statesman, but I, I think, think we're about the I same. I technically came in just before you, like a year before. Oh, did you? Okay. In full-time status. Okay, cool. And then I'm at about uh, 15 years. Mm-hmm. So what we want to do today uh, is two things. One, we want to just let you get to know each of us. So today we're going to focus a little bit on Brad and what got him into teaching. And then we sort of ran out of time last week to talk about the challenges that we face as teachers. And so I think that's going to be the greater part of our conversation when we end up getting there. But Brad, why don't we start with you? Can you maybe tell us a little bit about your story and what got you into teaching? Okay, uh, well, started back in the eighth grade. <laughs> but, um, no, I never really wanted to be a teacher growing up, um, but I do think maybe it was predestined in the eighth grade. On, We didn't have a graduation from eighth grade over at El Dorado Middle School in uh, Concord. Um, it was uh, more like a lunch on the last day out on the field. They give out little paper plate awards. And my paper plate said, most likely to return as a teacher. Really? And I thought, what the hell is this? <laughs> you were insulted. Like, what? I'm you were insulted by this. <laughs> you couldn't have done something that excited me less than that. <laughs> but, so, but I did have, I had a great teacher. I had a number of good teachers. But I had one great teacher, Mrs. Piedmont, or Miss Piedmont, a seventh to eighth grade teacher in language arts or English back then. And she moved over to the high school across the street to Concord High the same year that we did. So then again, um, and I, back in seventh and eighth grade, I read a lot of Robert Ludlum books and she would talk to me about that. So then I have her in junior year again. So come back after those years. It's like, it's like cycle back to her. Yeah, and she's taking role and I'm wondering, does she, I wonder if she remembers me. And the first thing, she's going down the wrong. She's like, Brad, did you read the new Ludlum book? I was like, oh, she remembered me. <laughs> and that was kind of, that was the way she always was with everybody. She would take us to Berkeley to see plays and uh, just the best. And I had her again as a senior too. Um, but teaching wasn't really on my horizon. I went to school undeclared, which you could do back then. You know, maybe mm-hmm. most people did. I don't know if you guys did. But um, and I just took a bunch of music theory and Latin American cinema class, just feeding my brain. And then they made me choose when I was a junior, so I became an English major at Santa Barbara. And then uh, graduated without really a plan. I wouldn't mm-hmm. recommend that these mm-hmm. days. Uh, and in the early 90s, it was hard getting a job. There was a recession going on. And so I went back to being a bartender and a waiter after college for a couple of years. Where'd you work? Uh, I worked worked a lot of places. I worked at 
Bob's Big Boy, which became Coco's. I worked <laughs> at the UC Berkeley Faculty Club, mm. and uh, I had my own bar there. It was great. That's cool. Um, and, but then I got into substitute teaching, and so did my roommate at the time. And we were supporting ourselves for a couple of years, but his aunt was the, uh, uh, one of the people running the St. Mary's Education Department. And so she said, you guys ought to become teachers. Hmm. And so what had not been super exciting early on, you know, we'd been subbing. Both of us subbed in the day and worked other jobs at night. And it kind of grew on us. So we both signed up and went to St. Mary's and got our teaching credentials. And it turned out to be a really good program. And all that subbing, all the experience was all high school. And then I promptly took my first job that they offered me, which is a middle school out in Byron, (laughs) uh, which... I guess set the course for the whole rest of my career just taking that first one I don't know if any of you remember Eric Prater but oh, he yeah. hired me yeah, out there Mr. In Prater Byron say it was Mr. Prater to me yeah, yeah. He, he did the job interview was at Ed's Mudville Grill out in Clayton so I had a bar and grill <laughs> the interview and then it's the good old to, days yeah. yeah I drove to Byron and said hey I'm at this gas station Gullies at the corner Where it looks like I'm <laughs> Byron Gullies it looks like I'm close to Byron can you tell me where it's at they're like oh this is it it's your one lunch spot right there it's like 95 96 and that of genos but that was a great school it was all the whole school had turned over there was nobody returning except for uh one teacher matt colbert the one guy was returning basically from the whole middle school everybody left that's wow yeah so this entire group of people came in young teachers like first year energy and it was a great you know everybody had to teach a bunch of different classes but it was an interesting start, yeah. And By- Byron's just a super small town near us. Still pretty small, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it was maybe even bigger back then because Discovery Bay, another community, what used to be part of it before mm-hmm. they seceded. And mm. Yeah. Good times then. So if your English teacher that, well, first it was eighth grade that got you to disdain the idea of being a teacher, insulting you, if you will, <laughs> and then that same person comes around and, and brings you into the fold. Yeah, the <laughs> the teacher was inspirational. Miss Piedmont, she was great, and I, I had a lot of good teachers growing up. I don't think it was the same job it is now. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody had their classroom environment, and everything was different. You know, I think I don't know. Was, the world is more stressful now, and kids are all on the media and everything. And yeah, but Derek, did you w- w- just going back real quick to you? Was yeah. your your last week? Did you tell us about? Was it middle school that, or just the whole experience of school being like a safe place for you? Was there a particular teacher? I just liked teacher? being at school. Like, oh, okay. It was just a place that was familiar and I liked yeah. going to. I'm just sort of fascinated by your story, Brad, because one, you and I have never talked about it, and when it gets to be my turn, I'm going to tell you about my eighth grade English teacher as well. So, kind of interesting. Um, I appreciate you sharing that. Hey, let's move into, if you don't mind, uh, let's move into our conversation for today. So last week, we talked about those unexpected joys of teaching, the things that just sort of kind of have come up over more than a decade, two decades for some of you, that just make this job really worth it for us. Um, And we didn't really get a chance to talk about the challenges and the difficulties that, you know, over the years we've kind of faced. I'm not sure who who really wants to start this, uh, but if anyone has an idea that we can kind of bat around a little bit. Uh, it'd be great. So we we'll want to start off with a... So again, you're saying the joys and the challenges. Well, we talked about joys last week, okay. so maybe we can come back to that. So now what we're really trying to talk about, respectfully but honestly, is what are those things that make this job actually really hard for us? You know, what, is, what has happened over the last 10, 20 years um, or you find in your classroom today that you're like, man, this is just really, really tough to deal with? 
God, something's like a double-edged yeah. thing. Uh, the technology, we've become reliant oh, on it. Oh, it's made our so classes fun. wonderful. We went from using the risograph and the overhead projector and slide mm-hmm. carousels to smart yeah. projectors and Wi-Fi. And the kids have the Chromebooks, and but we were relying on it, and it's got a lot of issues, too. I'll bring up my issues later. But you're I'll almost saying, like, it's become such a swing that there's like an over-reliance because when everything is now your curriculum, the access they're supposed to use on on the Chromebook, Mm -hmm. and you're dependent on your whole lesson is you got the Canvas platform, they're supposed to go log into whatever your curriculum is, when that Wi-Fi is down? Yeah, that happened today. Did you that happen to you guys today? Yeah. It happened, yeah. It, it happened at Adams. Oh, it happens too many times. Yeah. And so then everyone's like scrambling in the morning. But I, being the genius that I am, knew that I could plug my cord into the wall and plug it into my computer and I didn't need the Wi-Fi. But I don't think most people are aware they could even do that. Yeah, so. but if you're casting stuff, that's one thing. It's another thing like I teach the financial literacy class and my entire curriculum is Nearpods and online. If I didn't have that, yeah. Um, I mean, yes, I did download them all and I could print them, but I would just expect them to be available for me. And when they're not, it, it destroys an entire class period. Yeah. You easily. know, it's really tough. There was a few years ago when I was teaching science and it was, I was having that same issue. My computer wouldn't connect to the projector all the time. I, and I was just sitting there thinking, God, I wish I had an overhead projector and my little transparencies and everything I needed could be right oh, there. Cool. I could just slap it on there and show them and write on it. And not have all these like I don't need all this other stuff. I really don't like I. I but I know that's not the case for all teachers. But um, yeah, everything we have now is reliant on that it's technology. It's kind of funny because sometimes when you're forced to do that, you almost get like an epiphany of like an aha, like ah, you know, going back to the having some of your old materials that you get to pull out and using the the overhead projector, which is you know nice document camera. Having that some of that nice quality direct instruction with more showing that right there is sometimes like oh, this is a nice break. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because when everything is just like, okay, and I have so much work that's front-loaded to already be online and already have these modules within modules and here's this little pre-video and this little activity and this self-created uh, Google assignment, yeah. it it's nice to have it. Have Do you it guys ever up. have the experience as a kid like with technology? I know it's like always the highlight of my day. Like if the teacher let you like turn the slideshow. Rolled in the, the projector. On the little machine. <laughs> yeah. Or if yes. you had like, she had like the, uh, like a little slideshow, like on yeah. a film strip with the, like, you know, the uh, record would beep and then yeah. you'd get, have to turn the little <laughs> dial on the thing. I was like, if she picked you to do it, I'll mention you're like, yes, I get to turn the little yeah, film strip. I've got strip. one of those in my closet. It's oh, cool. really? Yeah. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. I haven't used it for, you know, I, another thing is on the student end, like we ended up like in the COVID years, like what's the the equity with Wi-Fi, you're teaching, you're giving kids Chromebooks, but are you expecting their parents to pay for Wi-Fi, you know? Right. Or, like, what are they doing on their Chromebooks, you know? Are they going where they shouldn't? You always, we all have students who have been caught doing stuff they shouldn't have. Right. Last year, we had kids Chromecasting. To other teachers' rooms. Racist (laughs) material onto teachers. Yeah, Yeah, that was real and hasn't been addressed. You can... The teachers monitor what's on the students' Chromebooks. You know why? Yeah. How do you, how do you teach from the front of the room, even if you're wandering? But how do you do your thing from the front of the room, knowing every Chromebook's not facing you and having no guarantee? I mean, we've gotten probably all savvy enough that I can tell when a kid's playing a game without seeing their screen, but I can't tell if the kid's watching Netflix. You know, and they're, they're doing that. It, what if they're what if they're sly? You know, that's yeah. yeah. We do have the software. You could. If the we district, do, well, if, our district's not using you, you, it at this point. There is a way where they could pay for us to be able to see what's on it. It's every not screen. available, though, is yeah. the problem. I think there's... I think Secure with that te- browser. Yeah, I think with that technology issue, though, uh, one of the things... 
is there's that front end stuff, like when we're in front of kids and mm-hmm. the issues that we have with, again, casting and stuff. But there's also the back end stuff that I'm not sure anybody is really aware of. I mean, how many times, I'll tell you, my first day back on campus, I walk into my computer that I haven't looked at all summer, right? I need to do stuff on it to get ready for the year, but I have to do updates. And the updates literally took four hours. Yeah. I could not use my computer to get ready for the year. You know, or updates that as a as a somewhat tech savvy individual I should be able to do on my own. I can't do without permissions. You know? Or my financial literacy class, I have a series of games online that they play. They all got blocked again this year. They were blocked last year, they were blocked this year. I didn't even know until I tried to go with the first game. Yeah, you know? So there's that back end stuff too that that technology just makes it really difficult. And I don't know about you, Brad, but me as an English teacher, I I move away from it. Like I want them to use it to write their essays, but there's something to hand pen paper that I think is really valuable in the writing process. So, you know, I mean, I think there's a place, but I also don't think it should be every kids shouldn't be on a Chromebook all day in every class. Are we kidding ourselves? You definitely can't have every class and I think it lends itself based upon your your curriculum and where your curriculum is. Like being a math teacher and that we have to access our math curriculum to be able to have access to our Savvis Realized program. The thing that makes me think about that when you brought up the double-edged sword was we have to have access to this computer, right? And when they come, students, they, not having their Chromebooks charged, oh my, does that throw a monkey wrench? Because, you know, there was a time period where we had only a handful of Chromebooks in our classroom. Mm -hmm. Then depending on your subject, you might have had a cart. Maybe it was rotated with different people. Being a math teacher, we got to have Chromebooks before everybody else. But a problem became, now everybody gets a Chromebook, and that Mm -hmm. kind of pushed because of distance learning. But we have three, three Chromebooks as backups for everybody. That's right. And like two chargers. (laughs) Yeah. Actually, I have three chargers, and two of them don't work on the new Chromebooks. So I basically have one usable charger. It's it's like a puzzle you have no idea. Do you remember that movie, um, Demolition Man? And it's that famous part, like Demolition Man, and he's comes out of from being frozen, and they have the three seashells. It's like how does how does that work? Because the puzzle doesn't work if you have these three Chromebooks, but you only have so many chargers. Mm-hmm. Or our students come, maybe they have the chargers. A lot of them don't. You don't have enough outlets. So how do you function? It's a it's a constant battle. Right. It is an absolute I, I constant brought, battle. I brought like power strips from home that are that are hanging out if I need them. Um, you know, or or you have a class, I mean, think about it, or you have a class, whatever class it is, that consistently has more students in it that seem to forget to take care of their Chromebook. I mean, when we had the cart and I knew that I was plugging in it every day, it was charged and it was out when I needed it, that was a way better system. There was something nice about that. Yeah, there was something you controlled super it. nice about that. Yeah, so. the Chromebooks seem to last a little longer too. But they do seem to be taken care of a little bit longer when they're sitting in our rooms. Yeah, some That's of them fair. seem to get pretty yeah. beat down. But some someone else a challenge thought i think some um challenges i have right now i think are just there's seems to be a larger number of students that i'm used to that um don't seem too interested in school or my expectations or what i want them to do and they're just kind of like doing their own thing and I clueless or you directions. mean like just apathy not clueless like apathy just like defiant and just like you know i don't have to listen to you you know like you want me to do this so what I'm not going to do it kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And so I think that's something that in the past there's always, you know, one or two kids I'd come across each year. You know, I could usually funnel them into my system and get them to cooperate. But now it seems like there's just, there's more and more where it's just kind of like, 
I don't know. I, I don't feel like I can really reach him anymore. And maybe just because I'm an old guy and I'm not trying as hard. I don't know. But yeah. um, some of them, yeah, they just seem like they're just like, whatever. I'm going to fail. I don't care. Like, so what? Leave me do alone. You, do you think, like, maybe the junior high, it, it always was nice to teach junior high instead of high school because you could keep, you could reach every kid, really. Nobody had, like, phoned it in and was, like, in high school, their kids dropping out maybe. In junior high, that didn't really happen so much you could still inspire or reach kids but yeah everybody's growing up a little faster now i wonder yeah, that's if that's yeah, yeah like maybe it's kind of just trickled down to them i think yeah. that's an interesting thing too because i think maybe expectations have sort of changed for them i i don't know i'm i'm, I'm i've been out of town the last few days so i'm getting back into my classroom tomorrow kids had an essay due today my eighth graders i want to say i have 90 to 100 eighth graders and i looked on canvas and i have 60 submitted so it'll be an interesting conversation tomorrow when I find out who and why they didn't turn it in and maybe it's going to be the same kind of experience I, I don't know um, but yeah that seems to be kind of a struggle you guys experience the same thing a little bit hmm I do see I would say not necessarily inside my classroom so much but out in the halls I don't I mean challenges of teaching versus like I don't want to get into complaining too much but yeah but behaviors are kind of off the hook of yeah. negative, violent. Are the bathrooms at our school get destroyed on a daily basis? Just I, they had that uh, TikTok challenge of the devious licks last oh, year, right. where kids were trashing stuff and taking trophies out of the you know the soap dispenser, or whatever. Stuff just never stopped at our school. It's just mm. constant, and more fights than we ever had before. More like walking down the halls if you tried to stop kids from swearing you would just be running around constantly it is just oh yeah 100 non-stop don't even bother anymore don't mean to be like kids these days but there is like a different kind <laughs> but of kids these days no. that is true <laughs> i have to reset. switch classrooms yeah when i walk i've said that same exact thing if i walked from one classroom to the next and stopped every kid i heard dropping an f-bomb i would never get to my other class i would be dealing with that with so many things it's just like, and they don't, and if you call them on it, half of them don't even realize they're saying it. Like, I didn't say it. Like, oh, I did. I didn't, sorry. I didn't know. Because it just falls out of their head. They're just so used to saying it all the time and hearing it, I'm sure, hmm. all around them, which is, you know, it's unfortunate. But it is unfortunate. I'd say there's a little bit of a combination because, you know, I, I had my own things I was going to say, and then I keep thinking of new things as I keep hearing great new items. But based off of both what you were just saying, Brad and, and Derek, I'd say it's, it's almost like there's no fear. I don't know if it's the fear and not necessarily lack of respect, but there's there's the kids have so much more uh, confidence just to or don't care to do and say whatever they want. And I think you were both kind of saying it's like the outside climate is just almost like mind blowing of seeing some changes of it, whether it be a lack of respect for their own school property and and uh, environment. And the bathrooms, we've had so many problems too. And this is things that are tangible that you can see that have changed. Like we have to, we have to lock down the bathrooms regularly. Yeah. And yeah, and now at different parts of the the school on the campus, kids are having issues about where they can find a bathroom that's open, yeah. or it has to be closed during certain times of the day because you can't mm-hmm. trust what's going to happen. I don't want to. I don't want us to deviate onto this conversation, but I think at some point we need to have a conversation about consequences because I think to some extent that might be part of the reason um but that's a much bigger deal that kind of goes with my fear piece yeah it goes with it when you said fear the first thing i thought was well you have no fear when there are no consequences 
but we can discuss that another. Yeah, I think I, I don't know if it's so much fear, and I, I don't know. I've thought about this a little bit. I think it's more like there's no shame anymore. Like nobody feels shame or embarrassed or like they just they don't feel bad about doing those things. Like I, I had someone recently laying in the middle of the floor in my class and would not get up, and I asked him to get up multiple times, and it's like this thing and. I'm just like, I would have been mortified if I was in, let's say, like, eighth grade and I was a, mm-hmm. a boy and I was the center of attention and my teacher was, like, calling me out for, you know, doing something stupid. I would have been just so embarrassed and, like, humiliated and, like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I did that. Everyone was looking at me. And now I feel like it's the opposite where people are like, hey, look at me. Look what I'm doing, you know. Like, look, put me on TikTok or whatever. Like I was going to say, like, all the stuff I'm seeing on TikTok where I see, like, one that are Instagram reels or whatever. I was flipping through and some guy's dancing on an elevator or... You know, some old guy like in his 40s is dancing in line at the DMV. And all I'm doing is watching that going, you're such an idiot. Like, I cannot imagine myself ever doing something like that. Yeah. But the kids do, maybe. Well, yeah, as a kid, I just, I felt like, maybe, maybe I was self-conscious. But I just feel like they would have been like, I would have been like, oh, that's like kind of embarrassing. Or if someone called my house, I would have been embarrassed, you know. But my parents had to talk to me about my poor choices. But that just doesn't seem to be a thing for a lot of, you know, a lot of these problems that we face that... The kids, when I call home or I call them on it, they're just like, what's the what? Like, what's the, why is that wrong? Yeah. Yeah, the sense of belonging has shifted a little bit too, I think, with the phones. Everybody get, you know, you see like kids, as soon as the bell rings, the world is on their phones out of the halls. Probably the teachers are too, to be honest. Oh, but, yeah, yeah. But like once upon a time, you know, you're part of a school, you felt connected to that school. There was like certain rah rah or this is that. I told my students related to the trash in the bathrooms. I was like, when I was in school, if one school had a problem with another, they might go thrash the school or right? do some graffiti on it. I'm totally yeah. not acceptable, but you'd be inflicting something on that school. On your you guys, precious school. You guys, yeah, and you would be offended that they did this to yes. our school. A prank. And our, our kids are like racking it up every single day. I'm like, you're, <laughs> what do you self inflicted environment. This is yeah. your house. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. You know, I, I would change my thought a little bit because I use that word fear, which I do believe is another com- conversation. Yeah. But it's almost more as you kind of said something there, Derek. It's it's like they're they're emboldened, like they're empowered, yeah. or they have no concept of what is going over the line or not. So not yeah. so much the fear or no fear. Yeah. But it's almost just like. They don't know any different. They think that that's completely acceptable. I'm actually really fascinated by your idea, Brad, of the sense of belonging. I'm thinking about that sense of belonging idea and I'm coupling it with Derek, your idea of shame and and how like the use of social media has has um, normalized shame as mm-hmm. uh, in the sense that, and by normalizing it, making it almost non-existent. And, and by that, thinking about the sense of belonging being really more found in those social media ideas rather than in you know the tangible locations that they find themselves so if social media is their thing that they feel they belong to and then that thing has no shame involved in what's being presented to it it kind of makes some logical sense to me that that's sort of the way that they would approach their lives i, I don't know I mean, people feel more connected to the inner like to a place that doesn't exist than they do to their own physical yeah. environment. Mm-hmm. That's just, you go to see people lined up at a restaurant on a Sunday morning or something, and a bunch of people are sitting on the phone, sitting on the couch looking at the phone with their whole family next to them. Mm. Or you go it's to the to DMV, or you go you go to like the Kaiser, and you'll yeah. see there's like one elderly couple who remembers how to interact with strangers, <laughs> and they're just striking up a conversation like they might have once upon a time, yeah. and everybody yeah. else is... 
just living their own bubble. It's like a, a, a new normalcy, right? Yeah. Because you said about what is their comfort and you said maybe it's a piece about almost becoming like desensitized because of that mm-hmm. huge part of the social media platforms and then everybody always wanting to one-up doing some kind of prank or if you see that all the time, if that's your normal. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's a fair point. The, bringing back the technology for a second yeah. and the it does have a pacifying effect on a lot of students. You open up a Chromebook and you give them some digital assignment to do mm-hmm. and a lot of kids, I don't know if there's some kind of dopamine or something going on. There are a lot of kids yeah. that find that pacifying and like honestly, when I, if I have kids working on an assignment sometimes, I always put on whatever music if in social studies, if we're doing the Renaissance, from Renaissance music, music of you know the Middle East, if we're studying that. Uh, but sometimes I'll put on uh, uh, Minecraft theme music because oh, I know they've programmed their minds to sit there for hours working at a task silently with this little, it's kind of like, it sounds like spa music, really. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Like, little 8-bit yeah, music. Yeah, you just yeah. put that on there, there. That's a clever idea. into that working mode. Actually, yeah, Minecraft music is really nice music, actually. Because <laughs> I've heard my kids, you know, playing Minecraft forever. Not familiar. I have to check it out. It's really, like, calming, like, nice. Like, if it, if they're not battling and stuff, they're mm. just, like, farming or mining stuff. Yeah, it's just it's just nice, like, nice music. It's this gen- generation's Yanni. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's something yeah. like that. Um, can, I, can I add something? Um, I... I I'm just curious what you think, but one of the things that I think is a challenge for me, and, and honestly, it made me think about, uh, I thought about this because of something that you said sort of offline, Brad, but I'm going to throw it out there, and then I know you're going to remember the quote that you gave me, but I think one of the challenges of teaching is the conflict between what grades have become and what they are supposed to be. Right, yeah. So do you remember the quote that you came up with, or you had? I, I, yeah, well, I didn't come up with it. It was the, uh, the grade is the measure of achievement, not the achievement itself. Mm-hmm. Which, that sinks in. Uh, definitely, kids now they're oh, they're getting grades at least in our district now for the first time in the sixth grade, so they are not exposed to letter grades growing up, and hitting it for the first time in sixth grade, and all of a sudden by high school kids are under such pressure to get, you know, A's. A's. You can't even yeah, get into yeah. a college if you're not really crushing it. Um, so parents new to the grade system are really. I think harder on the kids and they care less about you know the learning than the what the grade is and that's probably the wrong lesson to get right right that and that was and for me when I was reflecting on that it was the struggle of me as a parent who who sees that with my own kids and I want them to get A's because I know what it means for college and then as a teacher where I'm getting I get emails because I have kids not doing great in my class right now but that's because the content is challenging and that's what happens when you learn something for the first time you don't do well at it the first time but they're upset they're not getting A's and it's like that's they're they're not supposed to how did you phrase that can you say that one more time than what you had before Brad's version what, I, I said uh, the struggle is the conflict between what grades have become and what they are supposed to be and I think, and it came from that conversation Brad and I were talking about a little bit where he said that quote, where like grades are the goal now, but they're supposed to be the measure of the goal, right? And I say this to my students all the time, and whether it sinks in and, and how it, you know, and I know it's completely counter-cultural educationally, but a C is average. That's most of you. Most of you should be getting C's, okay? A is excellent. That's not most of you. But average is absolutely satisfactory. That means you can do it. You should be happy to be able to do it. 
I, I, I know I'm, I'm kicking against the goats here, so, right? So they need the high school, the college students to come back on college and career day and say, C's get degrees, man. <laughs> yeah, they right. sure do. <laughs> so your challenge goes, I think it kind of lines up with what I was originally going to come here to say, and that was that how much expectations seem to change. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a direct correlation with the grade issue. Yeah. So because our we have goalposts that keep moving about what the expectations are for these kids, there are changes in pressure from the parents. And then sixth grade, if we're talking middle school, that's the first time they're getting grades. Aligning what you are, ex- your expectations for what the grade you really earned are mm-hmm. two very vastly different things. You know, I take, go ahead, Brad. Sorry. Take a look at what you're saying too. The expectation that we put on kids is that and it's like what is actually the if you want to write indoctrination what actually the (laughs) message like everybody's going to college you know what's your goal for college every single student you know and is everybody meant for college is college meant for everybody is there a better job out there somewhere for somebody that's in you know one of the trades or something like that there's schooling involved in that it's just a different path you can make a great living for yourself doing a lot of other things and going to college and nowadays racking up so much debt. But that message is nowhere to That be goes both heard. ways though, right? Because there are people who are forced from family and maybe their culture that they need to go to college. Maybe they should be in the trades. There are people that go in the trades who thought they weren't good enough. That mm-hmm. maybe should be going more of an academic role of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it goes both ways. Mm-hmm. Well, that's one of the challenges too with grades is that our classes are very like homogenized and just we throw all the students in the same room, you know, up to 40 almost, regardless of their ability or interest or academic prowess. And then we're expected to teach to that whole room. And you end up a lot of times teaching to the lowest common denominator because you have to get the information across. Mm -hmm. And so, at least in my experience, those kids who are at that upper end are not gonna, I'm not, I don't have time to push them and challenge them and make them think a little bit harder because I'm still busy trying to get the kids on the other end to pull them up so they're not drowning below the, the sea level there mm-hmm. and I can get them just to tread water. That's a middle school thing very much too because in high school there's, yeah, it gets, you know, parsed out in the AP classes and mm-hmm. all that. But for us, except for math, there's always like an advanced math class. And then yeah. some of your classes you're like, Something's up with this class. So these, oh, you guys all have math together? Yeah. Like, okay, I get it. <laughs> right. Yeah. So because yeah. they all have math together, yeah, they're, they're all stuck having math. another so class together, right? So that's it, always. Yeah, do you, that's right. Do you guys think it's a it, part of the problem is because of how we have taken away letter grades? I mean, starting so young. Because if 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 we use the example that sixth grade is basically in our in our district and many others, but in our district it's the first time you see a letter grade, mm-hmm. and prior to that. You had rubrics, so there's so much emphasis on rubrics, and there's right. pros and cons to it. And if you didn't have a rubric score of a one through four, then you had letters in terms of outstanding, satisfactory, or I needs improvement. But I think still the problem, though, is I think elementary parents, myself included, when my kids were there, the problem is a three is not good enough still. Even though a three is proficient, everybody wants the four, right? Okay. So you still have the pressure of excellence even when they're very young. So hear me out on this because yeah. the last about, I think it was about a year before we had distance learning, started showing this visual on back to school night. That was this graph that was really cool to find that equated letter grades, percentages, to a four uh, point rubric score. Mm-hmm. And that basically a four is 95 or higher. 
Mm-hmm. And so like 94 and to about a high mid C is what a three is. Mm-hmm. And this huge range of what a three is mm-hmm. being at grade level. And so then you have these people that have these rubric scores, but then what did that mean as an actual grade is very, very different. The, right. And the, does the world really understand the rubric scores? I mean, we you could take a parent through it. And I remember my kids having the teachers explain it to me, but the world kind of gets an A versus a B plus and a C minus. That is... Because we've been, how yeah. long we've had that system, right? Mm-hmm. Hundred years plus. I'll be, there, there I'll be guilty be, though. I, I would bet there won't be grades in the next five years in our school district at all. All rubric. Uh, it'll be some type of um, rubric or like direct like correlation to a skill. Like, can you do this? Like in science, can you name like a readiness? Can you build, you know, a molecule or you know, explain this check? Can you do kind of like they do in elementary school now? Where they say, do you know your multiplication tables? Can you read at this level? Um, there's, we've, we're already getting books and things passed out to us about how grades are not great and what we can do better. And that so. sounds awful. I bet the it, high school teachers would love that when the, well, they Brad, get their freshmen. That Brad might be able to attest to this better because that makes me go back to think when I was in middle school, back to the Byron stories. Yeah. And, and when that time was going on in education, there was just such a vast amount and it was the checkbox. Of all of, we had it like on the walls, it was all talked yes. about, about the huge nuts and bolts, and you had to go through it. It was like you had to do all of these little check boxes. Yeah. Do you remember how that Every was? Every little skill was, they yes. had to check off. Byron yeah. hired somebody to make that thing. I it remember was, that vividly, Brad. District. Yes. Every student there was. I'm going so back to sixth grade boxes. thinking about this daunting oh, thing that was like staring at you, like laughing at you of this goal that you had to get all these things and it was like a public thing with your name and you had to be like getting checked right. off it was intense yeah. yeah get a little sticker on each column uh-huh yes yeah the maybe stars. that's maybe that's a big long conversation too is whole idea of grades because we can talk about you know that equitable grading push that's happening and nothing less than a 50 percent and let's not get into all of that right now sure. but you know just in terms of the the challenge i i, I think the expectation you brought that up mikey the expectation versus what it's supposed to do and what it actually has become to people, it, it puts us in a really weird spot, especially if we're the kind of teacher that does have high expectations. I, I put myself in that category. I refuse to lower them. And because I refuse to lower them, I don't get a lot of kids that get A's. And I'm okay with that. The one thing I was going to add to this is, but I also get away with that because I teach middle school. If I taught high school where the grades are on their transcript, I'm in a totally different world. As a middle school teacher, you know, I mean, I don't really want to say this out loud, but I think everybody knows my grades don't matter. At the end of the day, nobody cares what they got in eighth grade English, right? So if a kid gets a B in my class, yeah, they might be upset they didn't get honor roll or something in middle school, but it's really not going to track with them. Yeah, if I all you middle to- school kids listening, just delete that part. That's well, I mean... <laughs> Because there's none listening, don't worry. Yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> I mean, my, my, my point is, though, it, it doesn't really matter in and of itself in the same way it does at the high school. It matters in terms of, like, you know, all those skills that you need to get ready for high school. Habits, your ability too. to study, your practice, all that kind of stuff still applies. But in terms of, like, it's not going to stick with you. That's the point I'm trying to make. So I, I, right. I, 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 get to, uh, I get to dance around, you know, and not feel like I have to hand out A's, um, like I would, not handout's the wrong word, but you know what I mean. I justify. Yeah. Well, quota almost, too. You kind of feel yeah. like that. I think it's powerful as a parent to hear that. Like, that, hearing that directly from the teacher about the grades early on, I think has, has some power because it's something that I've, I think we talked about this a couple, 
conversations ago was about like those uh, back to school night, those conversations that you have. Mm-hmm. But like telling your parents and and having the like the the huevos, I guess you could say, to to tell them. And I flat out say that like grades, and if they happen to be some kids in there, I even make the joke like cover your ears. They don't matter at this point. And I wonder if, depending on our different grades, if you can get away with it. You said about I tell my students pressure. That. It's I tell my it's study skills is preparing you. Nobody's gonna care about what you got yeah. in seventh grade English. But if you don't learn the skills, you're not gonna be able to get the grades later on. Well, what about yeah. the concept of the switch, right? Because you know you hear that like you, if, you know, in sports that's often yeah. talked about. Like, well, no, it's gonna be playoff time. You're just gonna flip the switch for like a veteran team, but. The kids that, and I was guilty of one of those, I was one of those kids. I mm-hmm. thought like, oh, you know, I know, I was acknowledging that my sl- my skills in terms of organization and, and being responsible was getting a little sloppy in middle school, but I was just going to flip the switch when I wanted to. <laughs> right. That that doesn't really happen in real life because those habits become permanent. For sure. You know, I think the switch has gone, has, there, I think there used to be more of a switch and it was like a kid that was really into reading and a kid that just devoured knowledge, read a lot of books and school wasn't for them, and then maybe they get to high school, but they had a lot of literacy skills, and they were used to seeing things written, but people just don't read books like they used to. You know, they're yeah. scrolling, they're skimming, they're texting, they're using Almost to a self-taught, and like a, a, a pushing themselves, too, because of being able to read something. When you get up to, like, high school and college, mm-hmm. there's so much higher-level text. Even they hit kids it. now with reading, they, they, they find the books on YouTube and listen to them. Like, they don't even Audio, yeah. read the words, a lot of them. Yeah, like, yeah. they go to, you know, Audible or whatever. Yeah, I, I know my own getting kids those have done uh, Hey, guys, so let's... Um, Let's kind of shut this down, but I actually think this, these two topics are really good, and I don't think we really have exhausted them. So let's, uh, let's maybe next week go back to other things that we unexpectedly enjoy. I think we only talked about two of them last week, and I know that I have some things I'd like to add to that. And we could probably continue this the week after and just kind of kind of keep diving into this until we feel like we've exhausted it. Is I that all right? Some ready in the pocket, ready to go, I just thought of, but yes. Let's yeah, do hang that. on to that, make some notes. So, uh, guys, I really appreciate this conversation. I'm always fascinated with talking deeply about what it is that we do for those of you that are listening thank you so much for taking the time Uh, if you are interested in following us on social media uh, you can find us on instagram and x formerly twitter we are at midmen pod don't have much there but feel free to follow us and if you are interested in emailing us any questions or you just feel like you want to comment on something that we've said or if you're interested in yelling at derek you can feel free to email us (laughs) at midmen pod at gmail.com. So, um, appreciate Don't bully me. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, just are you direct a, it right why to you me. call Mr. Bully? Hopefully it's just a shortening of your name and not a reflection Depends of Depends on which kids you talk to. I suppose. That's true. All right, you guys have a great one. We'll talk to you guys next week. All right.